This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Kiss her, her, Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Kiss her, her, What will be, will be. Welcome to You Should Watch. It's not quite a continuation of Hey You, but it is me, Joe Lipset, as well as Sheree Bohannon. Hey, Joe, hey. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> if we keep one thing, it's got to be that. I think that it's you somewhere in the title, whether it's Hey You or You Should Watch. We see a theme. We love a theme. There what? we go. You know what? Continuity experts. That is us. So, uh, yes, folks, we are embarking on a new sort of recurring limited series podcast. We're going to begin with coverage of the Epix TV series from, which is about to debut its second season. So this first episode, we're going to cover the whole first season. Ambitious, Sheree. Because a lot happened. I Holy moly. I'm so excited to talk to you about it because I discovered this show on accident last year, putting together my top list of the year for Dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you were like, I'm going to watch, I'm like, <laughs> and so <laughs> taking all the notes. <laughs> I'm very excited to hear how you felt about the ride that you just really <laughs> went on. Yeah, this is interesting because it does remind me of a couple of other recent under-the-radar kind of genre shows. I think a lot of people are going to watch this and say, ooh, it feels a bit like Lost. To me, this actually feels closer to a TV show from, I guess it's more than a couple years ago. Uh, It would have been back in 2016, a show called Wayward Pines, uh, adapted (gasps) by the Chad Hodge novels. It was on my list. I never got to see it. So that makes me excited. And I really need to find it now. Yeah, that was fun because I'm sorry, I just misspoke. It's actually the Blake Crouch novels. And it was made by Chad Hodge. Uh, but it was an M. Night joint. So it was definitely one of those like people get stranded in a town and there's monsters in the woods. So it is similar to From in the way that it's like what's going on, secrets in a small town, but it's got a heavy emphasis on genre elements. And one of the things I really like about From is that it's got a hella diverse cast. Yeah, like the way I've been selling it in all my group chats, because once I discovered I loved it last year, I was like, it's everybody's problem now, as you've seen. (laughs) (laughs) As is, you know, your regard for you. Listen, um, and so one of the ways I was describing it as it's as if Stephen King's novels that we grew up reading mm-hmm. avoided all those pitfalls. Because like, right. as much as we read Stephen King, he's not kind to people who are not thin, straight white men. And right. <laughs> this is just like, we understand what he was going for, but we're going to do it this way. And we're also going to get rid of all of those tropes that make you all feel sticky and gross. Hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's actually got people of color. It's actually got queer people. It's actually got like some older people. It's not just focused around hot teens, which is also kind of a nice thing. Although we should be clear, there are hot like 20 somethings and there's like yeah. open relationships and stuff. So, you know, if you're looking for a little bit of sexy, it's also there. I just, I know we're going to get into it later, but I also just love that we do have some open relationships because mm-hmm. you're, if you're in like a weird hellish town, yeah. like why would you be like, we need to be monogamous and miserable? Mm-hmm. Like you're just like, we could die any day. I'm going to do what I want. Are you cool? Like, yep. Um, priority yeah. shift. 
Well, and and you kind of hit the nail on the head with that because this show loves to kill characters. The body count is off the charts. It's one of the few shows where I'm worried for the leads because, right? again, everybody's <laughs> expendable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was initially trying to keep track because I thought, okay, we're going to kill a couple of people to up the stakes, right? Because the show sort of centers on the Matthews family. They're our proxy into this world. So they are on a vacation in a camper and they end up getting stuck in this small town. And then they discover that they can't get out. And the big secret, which is not a secret because it gets revealed maybe like 25 minutes into the first episode, is that you have to be indoors as soon as it gets dark because there are things they look like people and they ask you to let them in and they kind of mesmerize you but they are ghouls and they just rip people the fuck up can we talk about how gagged i was when the mother and the small child were the first people we saw eaten yes yeah not the matthews family but there's definitely like Here's this batch of characters. They keep it relatively small early on. But yeah, we fully think, you know, this guy who's drunk at the bar and he's not making it home. And you think, oh, he's going to get murdered. And this poor wife and this young girl are going to have to go on without Popsy. Uh, no, the little girl lets one of these ghouls in and both mom and daughter are brutally murdered. And you're just like, oh, shit, we're killing kids. We're killing families. And then we put that dude in a box and just sacrifice him because he was a bad dad. The whole first episode is just like, we don't do that on TV. And that's Mm -hmm. why I live. Because, like, even the way that, like, Boyd, who's the makeshift sheriff of this town. Mm -hmm. Played by Harold Perrineau. So there's a lost connection. Right. And I'm obsessed with him. He's 59 somehow. And he looks younger (laughs) than me. So I'm very upset. I saw that tweet. And I was like, (laughs) I mean... I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but like, he is looking delicious. Listen, because I know he has to be older than me mentally, but for him to be that much older and still look the same as he did in Romeo and Juliet. Right. I I need the routine. I need to know if it's vegetables, because if it is, I'm willing to go vegan. (laughs) I'm willing to figure it out. Well. And I like that he's an interesting character, right? Like, I would say there's three sort of main people. So I mentioned the Matthews family. The lead of that is Jim Matthews, played by uh, Ian Bailey. And then, yeah, we've got Harold Perrineau as Boyd, the de facto sheriff. And then we also, I don't know, who would you say is the other lead? Do we say Jade, the annoying person who crashes into the Bailey RV and is also new in town, played by David Alpi? Is he sort of the de facto third? They're trying, but I think it's Tabitha. Um, And it's not Hmm. just I'm biased because Catalina Sandino Marino has always been that girl since Maria Full of Grace. I think that they give her stuff to do. They don't just like sideline her as a wife is normally sidelined. She's Mm -hmm. like, I too am going to solve a mystery. I'll be back. I'm in the basement. (laughs) I definitely appreciate how everybody kind of gets a moment to shine over the course of these first 10 episodes. And folks, we should be clear. These are full length episodes. So we're talking like 50 to 55 minutes. There's a lot packed into the show, but it is a whole town. Now, I will say some of the characters pop more than others. So we we mentioned Jade. Um, I would say he's one of the most annoying characters I've seen on television in quite some time. And while the show seems to think he has a lot of interesting things to do, I'm not sure that they understand how annoying he is to viewers. 
He's definitely a product of, we all know this type of person, but we mm-hmm. can kind of humanize them and it don't work. <laughs> Especially because, again, we meet him because he's unconscious in the back of a car where his friend was drunk driving and hit this RV. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not in a position to be like, you two seem cool. <laughs> and we just sort of skate past that because, again, we're in a hellish town. Our priorities, like, people right. lived. We got to get over it because we all got real monsters. But I don't have real monsters. And so I, <laughs> I'm holding my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's literally described on the Wikipedia page as an arrogant, abrasive, and I would definitely agree with that. The problem is, is that it's not especially interesting or enjoyable to watch him wander around the town pretending like he's in some sort of made-up Westworld play. And then even when he does, he refuses to call other characters by their names. He gives them cruel nicknames. He's very dismissive. And he just thinks he's better than everybody. And I know that this is, you know, it's going to be a character arc. We're going to watch him be humbled and grow and become a member, a productive member of this community. But it's also really fucking annoying. It is. And I I do appreciate that when he is humbled, it's by a much older lady or a much younger woman. Mm-hmm. Because it's either Julie or is it is it Tian? We're talking about Kenny's mom. Yeah, Tian. Yeah. So I love that those are the two that are just like, dude, get your shit together. Um, because everybody else is like, we have other problems. And I'm kind of over him. Aside from Sheriff Boyd, who's not above grabbing somebody by the collar, being like, get it together right now. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we meet him backhanding the father whose family was eaten because he's like, you didn't know your windows shut. Mm-hmm. You have a child in the house. Are you? What is wrong with you? What? <laughs> So yeah, I I love the dynamics and I do love that he has been collected a couple times. I just wish that we could collect him more often and let him mm-hmm. do this. Yeah, I think one of the things that the show does particularly well, and we should acknowledge this is created showrun and nearly every episode in season one was written by John Griffin. And he seems to have a really good handle on how this world works and who these characters are. So even though I'm either frustrated or a little disinterested in about half of these people, the way that they're introduced, the way that we understand their conflict and their history, and the way that the mysteries in the town unroll over the course of the 10 episodes is pretty masterfully done. It is, because again, I I was here for all the monsters and chest ripping, um, and yet they were like also familial drama, and we're going to unfurl it slowly. And so by the time you do get to see what happened to Ellis's mom, who was Boyd's wife, you're just like, I do care. I did have this question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The show's really adept at picking up where our interests lie in terms of which mysteries we're most invested in. And I think the back half of the season really pays that off. So in episode nine, you finally find out what happened to Boyd's wife. And she's only in the one episode, but... It is so impactful when you discover that she wasn't eaten by these monsters, as you kind of been led to believe over the course of the season. Like, she wasn't just an accident. It was that Boyd went out, and it was the same night that he discovered these kind of ceremonial rocks that have engravings in them. And that's when he discovered, oh, these things will protect you from these ghouls. So he was safe overnight hiding in a tree, but because he was gone overnight, his wife was convinced that he was dead. She lost her mind and started arbitrarily shooting people, thinking it was a dream, and then he had to come back and put her down. 
Which is so tragic and explains why a family, because mm-hmm. it's him and his son left, would drift apart in this scary town. Because you're like, right. something had to have happened here. <laughs> um, and it sheds a lot of light on who they are in this town. Because Boyd comes in and is immediately like, we can fix this. We can save mm-hmm. it. We can salvage some stuff. Oh, we can make course. this livable. Because he can't process it any other way. Whereas like his wife is not as kosher and as cool and the son mm-hmm. is worried and he's like dad you need to come home and the dad's like I, i'm so close to figuring things out can we just like try this again tomorrow night or whatever and everybody has their role which is why even the people that i really want to be eaten so badly <laughs> <laughs> they've got a function <laughs> listen i see their value because like another character who sends me is victor Mm-hmm. but also victor happens to know stuff and so we're getting information from victor so we can't eat him yet but i do want him gone yeah, so Victor is the longest living resident of the town. He was there as a boy before they found these rocks, and he basically comes out and discovers nearly everyone in town has been killed, and their bodies are just strewn about the road. So it deeply fucked him up. Like, basically, his character in the first five episodes is acting creepy and eating peaches from a can. Right? And... I want to sympathize with him because who knows what I would be in a hellscape like that. But mm-hmm. like, also he's, he's not, not kidnapping small boys and waving guns yeah. around. And he's mm-hmm. not, not <laughs> coming across real creepy to the other kids. And he's saying things that don't make sense because he's scattered and he's got mm-hmm. a lot of trauma and they don't have a therapist in this town yet. And so no. he's, <laughs> he's going it alone. <laughs> The one fucking thing that this town needs the absolute most is a fucking child psychologist or just a psychologist in general, because, yeah, these people are fucked up. And obviously we have, you know, kind of like the sage old woman in Donna. I love Donna. So Donna runs Colony House, which is one of the two places that people in town can end up in, or you can live in the town proper. And I mean, I still have questions about why there's a strict division and you have to decide. And once you've decided, you're not supposed to move anymore. But yeah, Donna is this kind of like sage, brusque old woman. She's not even that old. She's like in her (laughs) 40s, I think. But She takes this really hard line with people, but she also gives them a lot of love and affection in the kind of way that people who live in the town don't get, where you have a house and that's your thing and you're responsible for the upkeep, as opposed to the more communal kind of hippie living that you'll get up on Colony House. But, you know, there's these pros and cons. So, like, Boyd lives in the town and his son Ellis lives up in Colony and It's a great visual way to distinguish, okay, well, where are the separations and the fractures in the family? Because you mentioned Julie, that's uh, Jim Bailey's daughter, and she decides, oh, I'm going to live in Colony House when the rest of her family decides to live in town. I wanted someone to shake her so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I get it, because she's pissed off that her parents are secretly getting divorced, and she's like, you know what, I don't want to be with you, because we find out later that her mom actually, like, they lost another child, and apparently now the whole family is, like, really fucked up about it, but nobody's talking. I respect that so much because I'm all for having anger at your parents for Mm -hmm. whatever reason you choose, whether it's I think it's a valid reason or not. (laughs) I think it's healthy. But like the fact that we are literally in a life or death situation and she's just like, my family sucks and I can't deal with it. It's like, girl, people are getting eaten nightly. 
again, like, I love the idea of Colony House, but like, we've talked about it a little bit. I would not trust that many people to like keep the windows closed because mm. we are fortunate enough to still be on alive in this current era and i know we can't trust people because how many people were like i'm not gonna wash my hands i'm not gonna wear a mask right so you want me mm. to believe they're gonna close a window <laughs> and observe the rules <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so there's a couple of sort of significant incidents that happen so one of the characters that we haven't talked about is sarah and she's a sort of religious but like maybe a little bit touched girl who works as a nurse in the hospital and in the opening couple of episodes we see her kill the guy that was driving with jade so the drunk driver who's in the hospital she kills him out of nowhere and then later on she starts receiving messages that tell her to kill the bailey's youngest son so, like, she's clearly either being manipulated by otherworldly forces or she's mentally ill. But, like, okay, so she later on leaves the hospital open and a bunch of people end up dying, including the father of Kenny, who is the kind of deputy in town. And then there's another episode later on where some random fuckwit up in Colony House lets in one of these creatures because he wants to fuck her and it ends up killing 14 people. And I'm just like, I would live in a shack by myself because yes. I would not trust anyone to not open a window or a door. 100% I would be in the town, in my house, boarded up by 2 p.m. every day. I would not be <laughs> Yeah, seen. you and I were like, we would be drinking at the bar with that kind of like nice bear, like the older gay gentleman. And yes. then uh, we would be hitting the hay and we would just sleep through every night. Because that's the other weird thing. Everyone in this town is awake all night. Yeah, there's no way I'd want to listen to what those things are doing outside. And they're mm -mm. out there talking shit and they're calling at people. I don't want that in my spirit. I'm going to no. <laughs> I'm gonna drink myself into a stupor every night by two, three at the latest. Because mm -hmm. there's nothing on TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't have books, it looks like. It's like we're just all working and wandering around town. I think that's all there is to do. Yeah, that is a struggle because we've not really talked about it. You know, people not only can't leave this area, but also they can't communicate with the outside world. So there's no TV, like whatever media they brought with them doesn't plug in because all of the plugs in town in Colony House are completely fucked. And that becomes a plot point later on where it's like, where does the electricity come from? And that's where Tabitha's story intersects with the kind of larger mythology of, okay, something had to create the power and can we broadcast a signal above the trees to speak to the outside world like those are two of the kind of big questions where season one builds to but overall these people have nothing to do except keep these animals alive drink this horrible looking moonshine and try not to get murdered every night yeah Oof. yeah and Again, we have one person who's been there the longest, and he's been there since a child. Everybody else is dead <laughs> or mm -hmm. died <laughs> um, or newer because, again, like the life expectancy here is not great. No. And we just wait around for new people and then be like, you have to like listen to us because it's life or death and we're so mm -hmm. sorry, but you need to hide right now. And that's just, I, I don't know. Those are high stakes. And I think that's the reason why I love this show because there is no, we're going to dawdle now. We're going to like take our time. It's just like, no, pedal to the meadow. We have problems. We're going, going, going to the finish line. Mm -hmm. 
That is one of the interesting questions that I'm intrigued to see how season two is going to handle. So as we tease, there's a couple of big mysteries. We leave season one with a couple of different big cliffhangers. So like we've got a bunch of characters who are in some pretty extreme danger. But my big question especially as a person who watched Lost, who watched Wayward Pines, who has read a bunch of Stephen King, I'm interested to see how sustainable some of this premise is because the more you lean into the mythology and the mystery, arguably the harder it is to nail the landing. So you have to make people interested in your characters and we keep killing off a lot of people and we keep introducing new people who then act like idiots because they don't know what the fuck's going on. And we have a busload of those that just rolled in at the, <laughs> end of the series. <laughs> um, we didn't open the bus, but I already know shenanigans. <laughs> okay, let's talk about these cliffhangers because we can circle back if we need to explain anything. But yeah, we basically end season one by erecting this giant uh, radio tower on top of Colony House. And the suggestion is, okay, we're going to broadcast an SOS signal out to the world, and hopefully someone will dial in, figure out where the town is. So that's one. Yeah. Number two is Tabitha gets to the bottom of where the electricity <laughs> comes from. She has dug a giant, like, three- or four-story hole in the basement of their new house. And then... Victor swoops in and says, this is where they sleep, meaning the ghouls. And then there's a like a cave in. So they've disappeared somewhere and Jim has run home to see just absolute chaos. That's cliffhanger two. Cliffhanger three is Boyd and Sarah, the, the nurse who like killed a bunch of people. They've gone into the woods trying to find an escape out of it. And what they discover is a lighthouse with a horn... And then cliffhanger four <laughs> is this fucking bus full of new people that we don't get to see. But yeah, it's like, it's a coach. It's got to have at least 40 to 50 new people. <laughs> and I'm stressed because either it's like a high school or college game situation, or it's mm -hmm. like a booster club, or maybe it's a professional sports team of people who are going to just be worthless and eaten. I don't know. But either way, um, another thing, retirement homes do take field trips. So mm -hmm. like... I, I just want to know who's on the bus and how they're going to, like, upset me and my spirit. <laughs> <laughs> the bus is really intriguing. I'll confess I'm a little bit nervous about it, though, because I feel like we still don't even have a good sense of who some of the people in town are. You know, we've talked about a lot of characters. We haven't even talked about all of them. There's a whole bunch of background people that are clearly red shirts waiting to be off. But mm -hmm. at the same time, the idea of introducing possibly, I mean, it's got to be what, 20, but up to 40 or maybe even 50 new people into this show. That is daunting. I'm kind of excited because before that bus pulled up, I was worried <laughs> second season would be like flashbacks to our previous lives. I did not right. want that. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so I'd rather we mix in a bunch of new people and have us keep getting our backstory the way we've been doing it, which is mm -hmm. okay. Now that I've been out, let me tell you, I might have beat a man to death and then I ended up here and I don't know how right. <laughs> as your priest. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's sexier to me than here's a flashback and some dramatic stuff happened. I don't know. It's like the real world. It's more exciting to meet the person and then be like, okay, I'm figuring you out, as opposed to be like, here's mm -hmm. my entire novella. <laughs> Tell me right. how you feel. 
Right. I think there's a very specific way of doing TV if you're going to do extensive character flashbacks. You know, that is the lost approach. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's been a bunch of other shows that have done it. But that's one very specific way of doing it. I don't think it works for every show. And I think you're right. I don't know that it would be a good fit for this show in particular. So it's kind of more exciting to learn it on the fly or, you know, hey, we put these characters into a new situation and then they... They help us to understand who they are by the way they react or what they say. Exactly. Because like you said, they're good at giving us what we need when we need it. So Mm -hmm. we get to spend more time with Boyd's wife before she's whispering at the nurse who's maybe not okay Mm -hmm. and using like his nickname that only she and the son would know. And so we're like, oh, that's your dead wife. What you going to do, Boyd? Mm -hmm. And we got just enough of that like little like energy and that little like flashback of them in the town as opposed to them before the town right to make it make sense because i don't care how their marriage was i don't care where they used to live i don't i don't care where their (laughs) son went to school i care they're here and what happened after they got here and i i'm excited we're gonna get a bus full of people i'm probably gonna hate (laughs) 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 who will be the new people we have to be like can you die already um or maybe it'll end up with some of our characters who we have grown to like or respect ended up dead because Mm -hmm. again i did not see father um was a father catry am i saying that right yeah i did not see his death coming I figured him, Boyd, and our nurse were going to go off into the woods together. And all of a sudden, it was like, hey, father. And he was gone. Right. So <laughs> quick. This show is merciless. And it's another reason I love it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a weird, almost adrenaline high. Because you're just like, I don't know who's about to die. I don't know where we're going. And I'm stressed. But right. it's the good kind of stress that I actually am excited for as opposed to regular stress. It is. I fully agree with that. Even when we're focusing on characters that I'm either not particularly interested in or characters that I actively don't enjoy watching, the series is really propulsive. Like, particularly when I got to about episode three or four, I was just in. I was hitting next episode, next episode. So the fact that we're going to have to go back to watching this weekly is... I've binged this twice now because like I <laughs> when I found it last year I was like well this is good and I only mm-hmm. have a week with this app so I gotta do it now um, yep. and so I was like okay I binged it I'll see it slower some other day and when we were that decided to do this I was like I'm gonna rewatch it because I did go through it quickly so I, I missed mm-hmm. things I was not paying attention to take notes I was just enjoying the ride and I accidentally binged it again I did all 10 episodes in like three days I'm <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is not how i recommend it because <laughs> i mean again no. it's addictive but still it is it's incredibly addictive but there's also so much packed in and because there's so many characters and so much is going on you don't always know exactly what's going to be important so i'm interested as we head into season two to see if there's things that pay off some kind of lingering questions that I have about season one, or if it's going to be principally new characters, new mysteries, and that sort of thing. But I think we've also spread the cast out, so we might actually get more episodes that don't feature most characters. Which I'm okay with, because again, we we have our three or four major segments we just broke down. Again, mm-hmm. it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And we have like the things happening at Colony House. We have the things at the Matthews House. We have the bus. We have what's happening in the woods. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's other stuff that we are not aware of. And also Mm -hmm. where Victor and Tabitha went, which is connected to the Matthews House, but separate. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And 
it, it's like juggling. And I mean, I feel like we definitely have like a season MVP in Boyd Stevens. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see who might get to be season MVP in season two, because we have so many people and they're right. all connected and they're doing so much. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I doubt they're going to kill off Harold Perrineau, but but we also already know that he has a fatal disease and he was showing symptoms of it. So unless we do miracle cure stuff, we might be positioning Ian Bailey to take over and be like, okay, you're now the new sheriff or some shit like that. Yeah, because Kenny's there, but also Kenny is so young. Oh my god, I feel so bad for Kenny. When we were talking about, oh, this town needs a psych person, Mm. that person needs to see Kenny first and foremost. Listen, Kenny can't catch a break. Like, (laughs) major family death, Um, your purgatory girlfriend has a fiancé on the outside, so if you do get Mm -hmm. out, it's over. (laughs) Like, Kenny just cannot catch a break. And his father figure... Your surrogate um, dad is disappointed in you all the time. (laughs) Yeah, he just ran off to maybe go die, and if he doesn't die, he has a disease. And so, like, I just... I Mm -hmm. just want to hug him out of everybody. I feel like Boyd is definitely a town MVP, but I think that Kenny is definitely the one we want to protect at all costs. Like, let the kids get eaten, but let's save Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, any other predictions for the first episode back? I feel this first episode has to come in with the same amount of chaos we ended with because Mm -hmm. we left so many people in so much danger. And even the radio tower took a really creepy turn when they were like, hey, Jim, have you checked on your wife? That (laughs) was creepy. It was probably the scariest thing that happened. Because, again, I I was having fun when, like, people were tapping at windows and eating people. I'm not going to lie. That's how I mm-hmm. roll. Oh, sure. It's Salem's Lot. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, hey, everybody, it's Salem's Lot, but with black people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was living my best life. But when that happened, I was like, this is from hell. And I don't, I don't know if I can <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> but I'm going to. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. I don't really have any predictions apart from the fact that, yeah, we're going to have to deal with the fallout of some of these cliffhangers. And then we obviously will get a reveal of whoever was on that bus. And I'm excited. Yes. And I don't think it'll be this first episode because so much is happening. But I do think we need to address that Julie probably hasn't come out to her family. And also, can she Mm -hmm. have a partner who's age appropriate and into her? Yeah, that would be nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be the first episode, obviously, because a lot is happening. But that's something I'm hoping we give her because, yeah, I've seen a lot of TV and we don't have a lot of like (laughs) queer youth living Mm -hmm. any kind of a good life in any situation. So like, why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sheree, if people want to talk about season one of From with you, how would they do so? You can find me at Miss Sheree on Twitter and on Instagram. I am a From Stan account, so it's very easy <laughs> to finagle me into talking about it. <laughs> Where can they find you, Joe? <laughs> I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And of course, we'll thank the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network for hosting the show. But uh, yeah, you should watch. We'll return to talk about the events of the premiere, which is called Strangers in a Strange Land. So uh, stay up to date, be ready, and send us your predictions about who's on that fucking bus. I cannot wait. (laughs) Kiss around.
Squad.